0: Welcome to Making It to the Mic, a podcast about how different voice actors got to where they are today. I'm your host, Stephanie Pam Roberts, and this week's guest is Anna Gardugno. Anna is a voice actor and voiceover teacher who works in commercials and animation, and she focuses on those areas in her class as well. Now you're definitely gonna wanna listen to this episode with a notebook and pen because Anna shares so much valuable information. So let's dive in. Here's my conversation with Anna Gardugno. Hi, Anna, how are
1: you today? I'm good, Stephanie. I'm excited to talk to you. Thanks for letting me be on your super groovy podcast. I'm very honored.
0: Thank you. I'm so glad to have you. You know, this was you were on my list of people for a while and and I had a little hiatus. And now that I'm back, I was like, got to call Anna right away. Well, I'm
1: excited. I've been looking forward to it all day, honestly.
0: Oh, yay. So I'd love to start by asking everybody a kind of similar question. How did you make it to the mic? And what did you do before you were a voice actor?
1: This is going to sound funny. I was a high school student because I'm very lucky I got my first uh, voiceover job, which was a radio spot when I was 15. And actually the way I got it is still the same way I tell people to try to get work now, which is uh, I was taking acting classes that were outside of my regular class. I grew up in LA and I went to school at Hollywood High. So it's not as crazy as it sounds to start taking acting classes at a young age. I was taking these acting classes, which were very expensive. And I thought, well, I need a way to earn some money to help pay for these classes. And I always tell people that the world of voiceover has always been just the best day job in the world for me. And it can be for a lot of people. And of course, it becomes people's primary job as well. But I started out looking for a day job, even though I was 15. And I thought, well, I I could maybe do this voiceover thing. And um, my mom knew about um, a guy named Chuck Bloor, who's since passed away, but he was quite legendary in the LA radio scene. And he had a production company. So I kind of did my own little young version of direct marketing. I got his phone number and I called his office every Friday for about 5 weeks and I just would call and say, "Hi, I'm 15 and I'm <laughs> I'd like to do voiceovers and I have a funny voice and do you think I could do some, you know, as you can get away with when you're a kid." But the important part of the story was I was persistent about it and I was enthusiastic about it and I was also very clear that I had a lot to learn. So after about I don't know, literally like 4 or 5 weeks, the um and I set the same time to call every Friday, which I tell my students to do, like make a schedule make a schedule when you're studying, make a schedule where you're doing, you know, research, make a schedule where you do your business stuff. So I had, you know, scheduled every Friday to call. And then finally about the fifth Friday, the assistant said, well, hold on, you know, Chuck's here. Let me put you on the phone. So the guy who ran the place got on the phone and I said the same thing I always said, and hi, I'd like to do voiceovers. And and, um, he said, well, yeah, you sound, you sound very enthusiastic and you sound very sweet. So why don't you come in tomorrow? And I did my very first radio spot, and I ended up doing dozens with that company over the years. And so I really started, you know, with being consistent and smart about targeting a place and um, not giving up, which is what I tell people to do. So that's it.
0: I love that you were so confident at that age to be like, yep, this is what I'm going to do. So are you ready to hire me yet? Oh, okay, no, I'll call you next week.
1: Yeah, well there's that there's that um confidence that hopefully all kids have and and teenagers have that we that we don't um, you know, uh give up on as we get older. But I, I really did come From a place of I knew I was studying acting, I understood that voiceover work was acting, which is what I'm always saying to all of my students and is kind of the centerpiece of my teaching, that it it really is acting. You really are creating characters and telling stories and you're in scenes all the time. And so I knew that what I was studying as an actress was going to apply to even just a little radio spot. So, I was very, very lucky that that he was so kind to me and and let me uh, come in. And I remember my first job, it was for a Polaroid camera, if you can imagine, which is so long ago that they've come gone and come back again. And uh, I was a girl who had a crush on my little boyfriend, and I'm taking his picture. and he says, "What are you doing?" And I say, I- "I'm taking your picture to put it under my pillow tonight." <laughs> and then I talk about how the camera worked, and
0: that was my first little job. Oh my gosh. Do you still have a copy of that?
1: I do. And actually up until maybe five years ago, I'm not kidding. I had on my demo that just the line, I'm uh, taking a picture to put under my camera tonight because digital pictures came up, you know, so you could still use it. I took Polaroid out, obviously, because it made me sound like I was 300 years old. <laughs> so I was very superstitious. So I left just that one sentence on for years. And I just recently, um, not really, like five years ago, I took it off, but I still have it. Yep. I still do. It was originally on a reel to reel for God's sakes.
0: Well, we might, we might need to hear it. We might need to put it in the show notes or something. We might need to have a link to it. And then what, how did you find your way kind of after that? You had started in commercials, but I think you've done animation stuff as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I,
1: and I um, have a couple cautionary tales about animation that I tell uh, all my students, which is um, learn from you know, my little mistakes. Um, I was working, I was lucky enough, I, I started doing um, you know, theater and I did some television jobs. I was working on TV, um, you know, in my late teens and early 20s, and I w- wasn't really thinking about animation that much. And um, they were starting to have, it used to be much more separate. Like there would be actors who did animation and then actors who did, you know, television and film and theater. There were sort of two separate worlds. And they started kind of crossing over. And one of the first auditions I ever had, it was for um, King of the Hill, which has already been off the air a thousand years, but people remember it. And I went into that audition because they were bringing in dare I say, actors, not voice actors for it, which was dumb at the time, even then I knew that was dumb because it's the same thing. But I'd never really paid attention to animation. So I didn't realize that women did a lot of animated uh, boy characters. I just had no idea about that. And so I went to the audition and as is still the case, when you do a new show, often they'll le- leave you know, 10, 15 characters out on a table, drawings and text, and they'll say, pick three. So I picked... um to, you know, like a mom, a cheerleader, and a secretary. I did this audition. I did not get that job. And when the show came on the air, I watched it. And um, her name is Pamela Adlon now. She's a huge VO superstar, of course. And she came on as a character of Bobby. And I, I literally heard her just say five words. I just heard her say, oh, come on, let's go, let's go. I, I just heard her say that much. And without trying, I knew I could do that voice. I just knew I could, and I wished I had known that before the audition because then I would have picked up the boy character and tried to do it, Mm. but I didn't know. So I tell my students, it's very important to watch what's currently on the air, not just so that you have references, but so that you um, can identify and go, oh, wait, I can do that voice. Wait, I can do that because it might really, what's the word? It might really trigger new ideas for you that you don't even have until you hear them. So that's one of the reasons I tell people to watch animation. So after that, I started watching a lot of it and I was very lucky. I got to do, you know, a bunch of silly little things, you know, hello kitty. And I, and and a bunch of, you know, I started the Digimon thing a thousand years ago and that's ended up being, you know, like a 25 year job. And, uh, which of course you never expect. And I've just been very, very lucky, but, um, and my first boy character that I did after I learned how to do that, I always say is my. it was on um, Rugrats, actually. Oh, no, it was on All Grown Up, actually. And, uh, you know, it was one of those, it was one of these, you know, rugrat sort of voices, you know, like that. And um, I got the best direction I ever got in my life, which was the The director said, because um, I was playing a boy, an obnoxious boy. And they said, can you sound more obnoxious? And I said, oh, I can, yes, I can. And it was really fun. There was such freedom in playing especially at that time in playing a boy character cuz you could be loud you could be the one in charge you could be the one like you know planning the escape you know you weren't just kind of giggling and howling and crying in the background you know and screaming you got to you got to really be the protagonist it was really fun and i'm glad things have shifted now and so now there's a lot of you know girl heroes and things like that thank goodness um but it, it was really great to get to do that so i always tell people really watch watch what's on the air not just to, so that you know what the market is and you know what the style of it is but watch it so that you get inspired and you go oh wait a minute i want to work on my mom voices i want to work on my little kid voices you know it's it's a you can teach yourself so much of this at home which is what i love about it
0: yeah oh, my brain is like ping-ponging i've got a lot of questions kind of floating around sparked by what you just said but the first one is for those people who feel like Okay, yeah, a little boy voice. Yeah, that sounds fun. I can do that. What are your kind of like little tips and tricks? Because I know it can be really fatiguing on the throat. It can be. But you know what? It's interesting. I think a lot of times when we start
1: to do boy voices, the first thing we try to do is make our voices like, you know, lower and raspy and sort of like this, you know, tough guys. And that is hard on your throat for sure. But if you really listen to a lot of little boy voices, a lot of them... The reason they cast women, and I know you know this, Stephanie, is because, you know, up until when boys hit puberty, they really do sound just like women, (laughs) just like girls. And often their voices are higher than girl voices. And I tell people, listen to the Charlie Brown cartoons as the best kids in the world. Listen to 101 Dalmatians, the original Disney cartoon, because what you can listen for is the ease that a lot of little kid voices have. And kind of the thing I say is think of yourself as just being like, in a littler body, like you're just littler than everybody else. You just have your lungs are littler. You're just a little smaller. So you're not as loud. You don't have as much vocal vitality necessarily, unless you're playing like one of those bullies. But in general, that's going to be easier on your throat as well. And the other thing that you can do for boy voices is keep your voice pretty much, you know, wherever it lives as a, as a woman. Um, but instead of inflecting up sometimes, you just you just inflect down. Every once in a while, you just say, oh, what a pretty dog, instead of what a pretty dog, you know, little things like that. You don't have to make that huge of an adjustment because it's very important in kids' voices to be able to have ease in addition to, you know, being able to be enthusiastic, you know, but um, ease is very important. Then you won't hurt your throat as much. And I think often when you're at jobs and they say, "Can can you lighten the voice a little bit? Can you make it a little lighter? I think what they mean is ease. And the other thing too, with uh, playing kids characters is different kids at different ages have different breathing patterns. Um, and um, so for instance, one of my uh, students who I know, you know, Sinofia Mitchell, who's just such a superstar. I just adore her. She's so good. Her boy voices are incredible. And one of her first jobs, she got the voice of a uh, six-year-old boy in a math class who was learning math and it was kind of like a little bit of an e-learning type thing. And And so he was just little saying, oh, two and two is four, you know, he's learning like that. And then the next year she had to be seven. And then the next year she had to be eight. And so we worked on it and she said, how do I change the voice? I said, well, no, it's about the pattern of breathing more than anything else. Because when you're younger, when you're, if you really listen to little kids, they sometimes like, they talk really, really fast and then they, (sighs) then they take a breath or they, or they, they emphasize words in the wrong place. You know, they don't have quite the right, you know, the right right cadence that uh, older kids have. So she didn't change her voice very much. She just kind of changed her breathing pattern and, um, and it made a big difference. So that's a fun thing to listen to. It doesn't have to be so harsh on your voice like I think people think.
0: That's such good little tips and tricks, you know, because I think we we don't think about it like we think like oh what does this drawing look like oh the character has a big mouth or big eyes but you forget that you're right they're tiny little people and they have little tiny lungs and little tiny vocal cords yeah they're just little
1: you know unless you're really playing a a a bully or something like that who's going to be very loud and crazy but um but yeah I, I I find that really helps me a lot to just think oh no they're just littler people just smaller just smaller breath There's a gentleness to children voices, even if you're like this screaming, nasty kid. There's still um, there's a again, they just don't take up as much room vocally. It's not as much vocal vitality when you're playing a kid.
0: So I know you at some point pivoted to doing a lot of teaching and I've taken your amazing, wonderful classes. And I'm so curious how you kind of got into teaching and what led you down to that side of the business. Well,
1: I loved having you in class. Well, um, I've had sort of two sections of my teaching life. Um, The way that I started initially was, and I'm sure this happens to you a lot, Stephanie, where friends of mine or people I know would come up to me and say, well, how do you get started? Well, what do you put on a demo? Well, how do you get an agent? Well, how did you decide? And it's a bigger conversation, you know, like people would say to me, can I buy you coffee and you just tell me how to do voiceovers? okay, it's bigger than a coffee conversation. I can start certainly, but it's bigger than a coffee conversation. And I got to where I, if somebody, you know, wanted to ask me really, and they had a genuine interest, I wanted to be able to really, you know, give them some guidance about what to do and what was entailed and what to do next. And so rather, I just, rather than turn people down and say, you know what, I don't really do that. I I don't really have the time. I started actually with just some friends of mine who said, I said, look, I'm going to put together a class because there's like five of you that have been asking me about this. And let me just start and see how it goes. And they went, okay. (laughs) So it started out was literally friends of mine who were actor friends of mine from other areas of acting. And I just, I had a four week class, which is what I still do now. And um, because I like to teach the kind of class I like to take, like I hear a class is six weeks and I go, oh, that might be a long time six weeks what if i don't like it so i teach a four week class as you know and then people can continue for another four or whatever if they want um so i taught this four week class and we just started with reading copy actually and uh i could tell when people were reading copy when they would bring their theatrical skills which which you know they the people weren't um adjusting enough for how the microphone you know the difference between being on stage or being on film you know things like that they would try to Um, have their voices be more conversational, more intimate, and they would de-voice and they would lose all their vitality and they, you know, so, or they would hit everything too hard. And it was pretty clear um, what I could do to help them initially and also talk to them about where they could fit in. Basically the same thing I do now. So I started doing that and I was, I don't know, about 25 and I taught for about a 10 year period. You know, I made extra money at it, which I loved and was very grateful for. And, um, and it kept me on my toes too, because every bit of homework that I give students, I do every week myself. Um, and as you know, it's usually like half marketing homework and half craft homework, you know, where I want to listen to what's actually on the air as opposed to what we think it is. And then try to not mimic it, but try to say, okay, what are they actually doing there? What are they, what are they doing when they're being very seductive? Like, what is that? And, And you know, like in regular acting, if you, if you know, if you go in for a part of an attorney, are you the attorney who owns the business and is $5,000 an hour? Or are you a social worker attorney who's overwhelmed and hasn't had a lot to sleep? Depending on who you are, you're going to sound differently. You're going to speak in a different rhythm. You're going to have a different attitude. It's going to be completely different. So I started you know, telling people, well, pay attention to this kind of commercial, this kind of animation, this kind of thing. And, um, and everybody really seemed to enjoy it. And then a uh, a couple of years in, people started asking me to help them put demos together because they didn't know where to find material. Because at that point, you know, people a lot of times were just thought, well, you can only put actual commercials on. And it was a real catch-22. Like, well, how do you get a job if you don't have, you know, the tools to let people know you can do the job? So everything's gotten much easier now. So anyway, I, I taught for a long time, you know, from probably 20 I don't know, 25 to 32 or something while I was doing my, all my regular stuff. And then I got, uh, very involved in, um, uh, I ran a production company for a while. And so I kept acting of course, but I didn't have time for teaching anymore. And then when the, um, production company ended because we had a a deal at Paramount and our deal ended. So I wasn't doing that anymore. I moved back to New York to do a play and I thought, and people started asking me again, like, how do you get started in voiceover? So I just started a class again. And now I've been teaching here, you know, my God, like a 10 year period. And I'm just so thrilled that um, the community that I've met, Um, you know, voiceover people are incredibly generous, I think, and with information and with contacts and, you know, it's a really loving, wonderful community. And so I love that. And I'm very pleased to see people go forward because I've been in it so long that I know for a fact, you know, my agents have said to me, oh, Anna, they love you, but they want to know like who, who is new. Well, the new one is going to be my students. Get my students in there because there's in the world of voiceover, there's more than enough work for everybody. There's so much abundance in the world of voiceover. It's just such a huge, and it's just, it's exploded every year. It's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and more global. And, um, so there's room for all of us, you know, and I'm lucky that, you know, there's some things I just get to do. Thank God. And, and other, you know, things I still audition like everybody else. Um, but I'm glad that by teaching, it gives me another, um, area of practice and contact and you know it it helps me feel um like I'm a valuable part of the voiceover community you know I'm doing more than just like paying attention to my own job or whatever you know it's it's really grounding it it makes me a better actor every week that I work with everybody it really really does i just love it
0: i would say that you definitely are a very valuable member of the community because you you share your knowledge so generously in class and i love that the techniques that you give and everything, like they're really actionable. And I like that. I, I like that they're not like heady or um, I don't, vague. I don't know. They're very, very actionable. <laughs> well, again,
1: I, you know, I try to teach the way that I like to learn, which is let me try it and then tell me what I need to do next to get better and tell me why the thing didn't work. And now tell me, let me practice and see where it does work. And please point that out to me so I can know the difference, you know? So I'm really glad to hear that because that's one of my favorite things. You know, I I study, as you know, with um, Larry Moss, who's such a phenomenal acting teacher. And he, one of the things I love about his class is you never leave the stage or a scene without knowing what to do next. You never do. And so I always really try to tell people in class, okay, do you know what you're going to do next? Do you know what your next thing is? What your next area is? What your next study is? What your next step is? Um, Because I want people to move forward because I know it's very doable. And actors in general are so um, smart in terms of business. And I think it's lucky that I grew up in Los Angeles where the two big businesses in that city are music and acting, you know? So anybody that I met with any kind of success was a successful actor, was a director, was a writer, was a musician.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, so I've
1: always associated acting um, as a very, very viable international business. Like I've always thought of it that way. And, um, so I, I know it's very doable for people. So I think that because I know that I think people appreciate that and they go, Oh, okay. It is doable.
0: What an interesting kind of perspective and flipping the script if you, you know, if you think about it, like so many people grow up in wherever and their parents are, you know, accountants and nobody ever did anything artsy in their family. And they're like, oh, you want to be an actor? Oh, no. And, but for you, it was like, no, that's what people do here.
1: Yeah, my mom was a was a professional dancer. My dad was an architect. My stepdad was a uh, record promotion guy. Honestly, I joke around in my family if I had said, uh, you know, mom, I really want to go into uh, banking. She'd be like, what? Wait, let me, let me put you in circus school just for two weeks. Just see if you like the trapeze. I don't think you're going to like the banking. So that said, you can also be a very good uh, business person um, in the world. of. Uh, that's what I love about acting is it really is a fantastic marriage and voiceover in particular between the creative arts and business acumen. They really do braid together really beautifully. And I just love that.
0: So I know you mentioned a little bit about your homework, but I'd love for you to talk um, a little bit more about it, because I think that it's one of the things about your class, like, you, you know, when you get in there the very first week, you really dive into this, these homework assignments of watching commercials at different times of the day and seeing what it sounds like, you know, during the view in the morning versus during the Tonight Show at night. And And that was really something that no other teacher had ever given me, that kind of homework of like, go listen to actual commercials in the market at different times of day, different ages, different, you know, networks and see what's out there and see where you think you might fit in.
1: Oh, well, I'm so glad. Yeah, that just seems very logical to me. I think one of the things that's challenging for a lot of voice artists right now is uh, because so many people stream stuff, we don't really watch TV commercials very much anymore. You know, I have a lot of students who are very proud, like, oh, I've had Apple TV for five years. I haven't even seen a commercial in five years. I go, well, how do you think you'll be able to do one then? I mean, (laughs) it's crazy. So um, that first exercise, which I know you know, um, which I'm happy to tell people about, is to go to um, ispot.tv, which is a website that has a lot of commercials. And on the upper right-hand side, Uh, of the screen. When you go there, there's a search window. And if you put in Mercedes, you'll see, you know, 12 Mercedes ads. And then if you put in Subaru, you'll see 12 Subaru ads. So I tell people to watch five different car ads in a row because Lexus is going to sound sort of like this. And Subaru is going to be more like this. And Jeep Wrangler is going to be like this so that you can hear the difference between them. Because as we know, If you are sent an audition for Lexus or Subaru or Jeep Wrangler, the only direction you're going to get is to be conversational and real and talking to a friend. And there there are three different people talking in three different places. I always encourage people, as you know, Stephanie, to come up with titles for the different types of announcers um, in commercials.
0: Yes. And I love this too.
1: One of my students did a Lexus ad, which was very relaxed and quiet and confident you know and i said uh, what do you call that and they said i call that the i've earned it girl i've earned it just so great and somebody else calls that girl with white gloves at the end of the bar with the whiskey straight up I'm like okay I know what you mean when you say that. So the, the title only has to make sense to you, right? And then the Subaru, um, which always ends, we've all heard Subaru and like love, it's what makes a Subaru a Subaru. Like it's so relaxed and easy and you can hear the smile on the face. And I always call that the, um, the save the planet mom. She's just gonna save the planet. So that person is gonna do Kashi, seven whole grains on a mission and the Nature Conservatory and public service announcements to stop bullying and children's Tylenol. So once you get that category, down, you can name it. They cross different brands. So like Lexus, for instance, the I've earned a girl is going to do um, Absolute Vodka, absolutely. And Omega Watches and International Travel and the American Express Black Card. She's going to do all the high end sort of stuff and luxury, you know, Lancome, things like that. Um, so by listening to five different car ads, you know, listening to the same category, but different brands, you'll really get tuned to to hearing what they sound like. So that when they say to you, um, you know, we do Lexus and do Subaru friendly and conversational that both times you're talking to somebody, but you're a different person in a different kind of a scene. So that's what I mean by it's really acting. You're always in a scene with somebody acting. So when I get commercial copy, I always tell people, okay, what, what situation could I be in that? I would say this first sentence like one of my pieces of copy I love to give people, the first two lines are, uh, I'm a huge car nerd, so I love Tesla. So I go, what would make me say I'm a huge car nerd, so I love Tesla? And then the rest of the copy, it's very announcery. It's all about all the things Tesla does. You don't have to wait in a gas station. Um, you can plug it in everywhere. Like it's all very announcery. So I said, what situation could I be in that I would say that? So I like to use my imagination and encourage my students. And I said, well, for me, this scene is... My girlfriend's been trying to buy a new car for a month now and like it's driving her crazy and she's almost going to give up. She's just so upset about it. So I come over to her house and she's sitting around with just like just dozens of brochures and I say, okay, enough. I'm going to solve your problem. I know exactly what you want. I'm a huge car nerd. So I love Teslas. This is the one you should get. So that way I'm in the scene in the middle of a conversation and that's what makes things sound conversational. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really fun to do that. And the same thing is true with animation. You know, it's a real acting thing. Like, what's the moment before? What's the moment after? You know, where are you coming from? Where are you going? You know, I have animation copy where it'll be, um, you know, it'll be like, say, a queen talking about, um, you know, I'm going to vote against this war. Um, You know, as the representative of my people, I'm going to oppose it. So if you're in a council meeting, you know, like in a dungeon, and you're hiding, then it might be very quiet and intense, kind of like that. But if you're at, uh, I don't know, like a, like an intergalactic UN, then it'll be much more announcery because you're talking to the world of people. So, where are you? Who are you actually talking to? So, they're very basic acting things that are very doable when you start breaking down the copy. So you don't have to just be winging it with a smile and just sounding generically happy or generically scary. Right. So that exercise is a great one for commercials. And then I also tell people, pay attention to TV commercials because things that that you hear in the car driving around, or you hear on Spotify or you know, pre-rolls on YouTube, they're designed to catch you in a different way. So they're very, um, they're a lot more in your face. They're they're louder, they're faster than national network TV commercials, which are, as you know, Stephanie, I like to call them voice
0: unders because
1: mm. in national network TV commercials, you are not the star of it. It's the image is the star of the show. You're just supporting whatever's happening on screen. And so if you think of it as a voice under, it helps everyone get much more intimate They don't feel an obligation to fill the whole screen with their voice, you know? And I focus on those because agents and casting people, you know, they want to know that you can book that big national car campaign where all they do is talk like this incredibly quietly about the brand new, beautiful car. They want to know that you can do that nice and quiet and not be, it's a brand new, fantastic car because I'm on the radio. They're different genres. And once you start figuring that out, it's so fun. I just want to share one other example of a um, title that I love. One of my students um, is particularly good at all these sort of like high energy girls for like, you know, cover girl and copper tone and things like that. And um, she calls those characters the uh, give me the ball girl. I said, give me the ball girl. What's, what's that? She's, well, you know, there's always a girl on the beach in a bikini playing volleyball who's going, give me the ball. Give me the ball. So if you know that you're the, give me the ball, girl, instead of the, I've earned it, girl, it's going to give you 90% of your read. It's going to give you your attitude, your volume, your pace, your tone of voice, and then you can spend that last 10% really playing with the copy. Like, okay, I'm going to elongate this word. I'm going to emphasize this a little bit. I'm going to add a laugh there. But you're on such solid footing when you start that then you can really put your signature on the, on the spot. You see what I mean? So that's what I love about that. Same thing with the animation, because, um, you know, uh, BoJack Horseman, as you know, is the one everybody is referencing now in terms of specs. And I had somebody say to me, well, you know, on BoJack Horseman, um, you know, the lead character, it's just Will Arnett, and they just cast him because he's famous. And I said, you know what? I don't think so. I bet they considered Paul Rudd and Jason Sudeikis. And, you know, there's a million people, a million actors who would love to be on an animated series. But I, I bet you Will Arnett came in with the best character. Now, the fact that you know who he is, fine. But most of America doesn't know who Will Arnett is. They don't know. They just know that BoJack Questman is a really funny, full of himself, usually drunk, feels sorry for himself, lovable ex-sitcom star. That's who he is, who's part horse. So the, with the animation, I'm always saying I want people to fall as in love with playing characters in your own voice as when you do like a crazy character voice. It's so fun and free, but you can be that free doing just your regular voice. If you have a strong point of view about what you're talking about, it's all about being specific by watching what people are doing and then putting a name on it. You know, I tell people, it's like, if you're a musician, somebody can hand you, um, say you're a singer and they just hand you uh, you know, a song and they say, just sing it, but they don't tell you is it a is it a rock and roll song? Is it a ballad? Is it a country song? Is it a hip hop song? Is it an opera? If you know the type of song it is, it's going to be a lot easier for you to jump in and do it in the way they want to be heard. So identifying what these different uh, genres and styles are is really important. I think it really gives you a lot of confidence.
0: And I love that it's something really concrete to latch onto when you go in the booth and you're, you know, you're tired or you're out of it or you've got seven auditions to do and you're like, oh, I don't even know where to begin. It's like, oh, OK, wait, let me think about this particular, you know, uh, archetype of a you know, character. And OK, that gives me a little bit of grounding and footing to start this particular spot.
1: Well, the grounding, I think, is a perfect thing to say, because it, that's why I'm always saying. It gives you a foundation. Because if you're on solid footing, you can start and you can really be creative. And just to address, I think it's a really important point about getting tired in the booth, particularly if you're doing a lot of pay-to-play stuff, you know, where you say, okay, I'm just as a goal, I'm going to try to send in like 10 auditions, you know, all at once. I have I have an hour and I'm going to send in 10. If you're tired or if you're burnt out, it's really good to literally just say to yourself, oh, I'm so not in the mood. I'm so tired right now. But for 30 seconds... I'm going to be really enthusiastic about McDonald's because this is potentially a $30,000 job. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: I don't have to be enthusiastic and perky for the rest of the day. For 30 seconds, I'm going to make that happen. And then it's easier. You go, oh, okay, I can do it for 30 seconds. So then you're not looking at, oh my God, it's an hour and a half of me nonstop talking. You're doing one at a time in little bites.
0: Yeah. It can be so easy to get burned out so quickly when you know, you've got a time crunch or you've got, you know, even if it's all wonderful agent auditions, sometimes those feel even more stressful because, don't you know, they feel like there's more at stake to them. Oh, yeah. No, it's very nerve wracking. And then people like you juggle families, do all these different things.
1: Um, it's hard to not feel like you're just like you're, you're, you're forcing the audition in in the middle of your day somewhere. And I think it's really important when you get in the booth to just breathe, have a sip of water and say, this is what I'm doing now. Because then you'll just be present, and you'll do your best work. And by the way, you'll get out of there in one, two, three takes. Right. And then you'll be done. You won't be sitting there forever. That's the other thing too. And I know a lot of people say this. You should really never do more than four takes of anything. Really, after that, it's just diminishing returns. You know, because um, if you're in the ballpark, you're gonna you're gonna get in a good a, a good audition in one, two, three, four takes. You just will. And if you keep going, you'll just be micromanaging your voice and you'll get all, it's just not going to work.
0: I can speak firsthand to that. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So I'd love to know um, about your demo making as well, because I made a demo with you and it was such a wonderful, great process. So I would love to know about the process of making a demo and also what you think makes a good demo. Sure. Sure. Well,
1: what I think makes a good demo, um, and this is true for whatever kind of demo you make, the kinds that I enjoy making the most are um, commercial demos, animation demos, and promo demos are kind of my favorites to do. And the first thing is making sure that the demos reflect what the actual market is because there's a lot of people that are really talented. Like sometimes people bring me demos and they'll say, I don't know why this demo's not working for me. And it'll be six really good spots that are all really uh, high energy or they're very funny, <laughs> you know? And I go, okay, this is great for, um, if I was an agent, I would listen to this and I would say, okay, I'm going to bring them in for all sorts of comedic local radio spots, but I'm not going to bring them in for a national network because all these are very hyper and very high energy and very funny. So you want to make sure that your demo covers the main areas of the market in terms of style. You also want to make sure that um, I feel very strongly for a commercial demo that you do not use anything that has already been recorded um, because I promise you it can be some obscure thing you heard at three in the morning and that the agent will go, Oh yeah, that's a John Ham's thing. And then they're thinking about John Ham. They're not thinking about you. So don't do anything that's already been recorded. Don't do anything from an audition class, although sometimes that material is great, but believe me, if you're doing it, a million other people are going to do it. Um, don't do anything from the websites that say free copy. Uh, where you get your your demo copy um, for commercials, I think it's uh, good to get it from websites because it's going to be a current campaign. You can get it from magazine ads because that's a current campaign. You can also write your own and then throw in uh, a line or two from a current campaign. So for instance, one of the surprising places people can find material is in um, like magazine articles. One of my favorite is there was a men's journal uh, magazine and there was an article. It wasn't even a, a, an ad at all. It was an article about how to dress and what you're looking for is a catchy line, like a catchy phrase. So the phrase, the first sentence of this article was prepare yourself for a harrowing truth. So already I love that. Just the word harrowing was so great. So prepare yourself for a harrowing truth. And then it said, uh, there's two types of men in this world, Ryan Gosling and not Ryan Gosling. So already that's hilarious. Then it said, uh, Ryan Gosling looks good with three days of stubble and the rest of us look like we live in our mom's basements. Um, for all you non-Ryan Goslings, and then it went on to talk about how to dress. But all we did was we said, for all you non-Ryan Goslings, get your edge with Gillette shaving cream. Done. You know, um, you can also write your own things. Like I have a student who is a, um, a pole vaulter, if you can imagine. And I said, what pole vaulter? My God, that's so interesting. So we did a thing where she said, yeah, I got, you know, so I'm on, I've got a scholarship to college as a, as a pole vaulter. So I have to be ready, you know, for all these meets. And I always make sure in my bag I have blah, blah, blah. And then we said, um, Icy Hot Mm -hmm. for in case you had a sore shoulder. So then we went to the Icy Hot website. And we grabbed a line or two about what Icy Hot does. You put that in the middle. And then at the end, we're able to say, so I'm always ready for any meat or something like that. And it was this original spot that was not like anybody else had. And it was very conversational and storytelling. So that those two things I gave examples of, those both fit storyteller conversational category. So now you go to another category, which could be the um, Save the Planet Girl which could be the, I've earned it person, or the, I know you want this car. Or um, one of my favorites right now is a lot of my male students are asked to be uh, Matthew McConaughey without the accent, which always makes me laugh. I go, oh, because it's all about his accent. He really enjoys and savors what he's talking about. He enjoys the sound of his voice as he's talking about his luxury car. So that's a big category. So for that, you want to match it. You know, you can find, uh, go to Lexus and find some copy from Lexus. Go to Cadillac and find some copy from Cadillac, and then you put that as the Matthew McConaughey guy. So then you have that category. You see what I mean? Uh, Dennis Leary is somebody. Or, or for women, you know, um, you've heard me say this. They mention um, Scarlett Johansson and Emma Stone a lot. So Scarlett Johansson, I've had women say to me, "Well." you know, I don't have a raspy voice like Scarlett Johansson. I think, no, no, no. It's her tone of voice. It's her attitude. So to me, she always sounds like, I like to call it sleepy Scarlett Johansson, which to me is like this. (sighs) I just woke up in my most fantastic, beautiful house and everything's so wonderful for me. And I think I'm going to go get some Levi's. Like there's something very dreamy about it. And anybody can do that. And then for Emma Stone, when they want Emma Stone, if you really listen to her, she sounds to me just like, she's just a badass. She just does not give away her smile. You know, she's not smiling. She's not accommodating. She's talking fast and direct. So I call that type of person, the um, girl with boots, like just in an alley with boots and a long black coat and saying, I'm going here, get out of my way, Urban Decay. Like there's no smile. So you want to hit one of those kind of categories. So again, to figure out all the categories you want on your demo, listen to what's actually on the air. Listen to those five car ads, listen to five cosmetic ads, listen to five food ads, and you're going to see that certain archetypes cross different brands. So that's the thing to do. And then you can throw in one or two funny things because of course there are funny commercials, but make sure it's something that's a national brand. So if you're going to do something comedic, have it be like a Doritos Super Bowl ad. Something like that, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's just really crazy, but it's Doritos because you want people listening to your demo to think, wow, they could get that campaign. And the same thing is true with animation. You want to make sure, you know, 80%, 75, 80% of animation is natural voice. So you don't want to have an animation demo that's all sorts of crazy voices and something like this, you know, you just don't want to do it because casting people will listen and they'll go, okay, really talented. I have no idea what they actually sound like. You should have about 75% natural voices. Then you can have, you know, um, uh, 10, 15, 20% voices, what I call could be real. Um, And you can have the real cartoony stuff splintered throughout, you know, a little bit sprinkled throughout, but you don't want to lead with that. And the other thing about animation demos too is with all the characters, and this too with commercials too, but it's really clear in animation, the difference between a voice and a character is usually three things. If you're a character, you're able to establish what you are, you know, you're a bear who's in high school, you know, where you are, you're in the hallway. And what is the conversation or the event you're in the middle of? You're asking a hedgehog out on a date. So that's when they say, we want a character, not a voice. That's what they're talking about. Do you sound like you're in the middle of a scene? And one of the things, the best ways you can do that on a demo or also in auditions is to try to think about for animation, if it's two commercials too, but we're talking about animation now, is if you can establish a sense of location or a sense of place, it's going to bring your audition alive. So when you see animation or you're creating an animation character, really think about like, where are you? And where, like, what room are you in? How close are the people you're talking to? Are they right next to you? Are they running down the hall? Where is everyone? So the example I use for that is um, I played a character once as a bad mom and they wanted just natural, regular voice. And so they said, uh, um, the the line was, uh, just a minute, honey, I'm teaching Bobby fractions. All right, Bobby, that's four parts vodka and one part cranberry. So clearly it's a terrible mom. So that's funny in itself, but it's better if you add location like this, where you would go, just a minute, honey, I'm teaching Bobby fractions. All right, Bobby, that's four parts vodka, one part cranberry. So it's the same joke. But it's clearer because we have a sense of location. And now I sound like I'm someone in a house, not somebody just reading a funny line, you see?
0: Yeah, I love that. I love the idea of even if you don't know, you have to make it up so that it gives a full life to everything. I love how... You were suggesting to, you know, taking being creative with where you get the copy. I my husband always jokes that he's going to make a demo someday. He's not an actor at all. Um, But we had a bag of pretzels on the table while we were eating lunch and he just turned it to him and he was like Snyder's of Hanover and just like read the back of the pretzel bag. And it was great demo copy. That's exactly what you can do. Look at the back of a cereal box.
1: Look at what it says on the Band-Aid box. Absolutely. You want to do current campaigns And you want to do um, a variety of things. And the same thing is true with animation. You want to have a variety of characters. You want to have a character that would be on Adult Swim and a character that would be on Bubble Guppies and a character that would be on PBS and a character that would be on FX because they have different attitudes. So in the cartoon world, I tell people, watch BoJack Horseman for five, 10 minutes, watch Bubble Guppies for five, 10 minutes, watch Archer for five, 10 minutes, watch Bob's Burgers for five, 10 minutes, because they're all slightly different. What I love about Archer, BoJack, and Bob's Burgers is they're all excellent examples of relatively natural voices, mm-hmm. but they have slightly different pacing and attitudes to them. You know, So it's fun to just kind of know what those are. So it's important to know what your default, what your regular voice sounds like, because if something calls for something to be quirky or high energy, I don't have to do a lot. I don't have to make it quirkier or more high energy because that's how I am. So I'm very aware of like what's been nominated for Oscars, what's been nominated for Emmys, what's the, you know, what are the biggest shows? And you can, you don't have to even spend that much time. You can take 10 minutes and get the vibe for a show or movie trailers are fantastic You know, look at the mover trailer um, for Inside Out. It's got five men and five women on it in three minutes. And write down what they are. Write down like, you know, grouchy 10-year-old girl, uh, clueless dumb dad. You know, write down what they are because you start to see Oh, there's all these archetypes, and and so that you know what they are. So then you know kind of what to put on a demo. You're not just putting on your quacky voices; you're putting on archetypes as well. There's a lot of teenagers. There's a lot of there's a lot of parents. There's a lot of things in school. Um, comic books is a great place to get uh, material for animation because comic books are written in a very particular vernacular. So you can take, you know, I tell my students, grab a comic book that's in a jungle, one that's in a school one that's in outer space, and one that's in a war. And then, you know, you need to have like a, you know, like a queen or a girl here or a king or a wise elder. And for that, um, you know, I literally will pull lines from Antigone, from Medea. You know, you can pull lines from plays are fantastic.
0: And nobody knows where it comes from. And it sounds fabulous, you know. That's awesome. That's a lot of amazing, amazing um, advice. So, Before we wrap up, I would love to know, I know you've given us so many things to think about, but do you have like one favorite piece of advice that you give to voice actors that are just starting out? Yeah, my favorite piece of advice is you can do it. There's more access
1: than ever before, and there's more work than ever before. And to get started, watch cartoons, watch commercials, um, listen to books on tape, whatever area you're interested in, listen to them. And say I can do that, and write down what that is, and make a list of all the things you think you can do.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your insights and little tidbits from your the things that you teach in your classes as well. This has been so cool, and I think I think people should go back and listen to this episode again with a notepad and take notes and have a good starting point for uh, you know for some new techniques. Well, thank you so much for uh, for asking me, and, and uh, talk to you soon. I hope. I'm so thankful for Anna sharing her techniques so generously with us today. I've taken her class several times and always walk away feeling empowered with actionable techniques and ideas that I can apply when I get in the booth. And if you haven't tried the homework she suggested about watching different types of commercials or animated shows, I highly recommend it. If you'd like to learn more about Anna and her class, I'm linking her website and socials in the show notes, which you can find at my website, makingitthemike.com please make sure you follow or subscribe to this podcast where you're listening now so you don't miss an episode. Thanks so much for listening. And here's a little preview of next week's episode. There was no one else doing that style. Everybody else was the big booming movie trailer voice that couldn't do the e-learning explainer video. So I just dove in and had so much fun doing it. That's next time on Making It to the Mic.